Welcome into the Solar Insights Podcast. My name is Eric Sauer. We got John Bloom here, Suns broadcaster and uh, all around uh, Suns guy, Suns fan, uh, here to talk about a lot of Suns things. As uh, many of you have probably noticed when you see this episode, that I haven't done one in quite some time. A couple reasons for that, right? Uh, first off, don't be alarmed, I'm healing well now, but I had broken my leg. Um, beginning middle of February there, so I was trying to get it back from that, and now I'm feeling back up to it. Then we had this whole pandemic situation, uh, so not much to talk about. But I, I always write uh, back, get back into writing. I've been doing podcasting for a while, just because writing takes a long time. Wanted to get into the swing of things again uh, with the podcast, as well as get back into writing. And this is kind of my off-season topic, as it were. Uh, not totally throwing the towel for the season, but I think that now it's a good time as any to talk about kind of what we learned from that. I think of very statistically, very coach-minded perspective, and I want to understand what we learned from this season uh, compared to expectations and more. And John is the perfect person to help us do that. How are you doing, John? I'm doing well, Eric, and it's good to hear that you're doing uh, better on the mend after the uh, the leg uh, incident. Uh, and and you know, like you needed something else to happen, and right after you're getting well, right now we're dealing with everybody up against, like you mentioned, the pandemic. But uh, it's nice to have an opportunity to talk basketball in whatever form you want to talk it. I'm here. Very true. Very true. Basketball is always good there. Um, so I want to talk about really the, the structure for this, right, is both as a team perspective, which will probably take the overall team perspective towards the end, but on a player and a team perspective, what did we have, what do we know about these players and this team at the end of last year or at the or at the beginning of last this year, uh, before we played any games, what did we know? What did we feel? We'll take each as a snapshot of each individual player, and then we're going to kind of see what did we learn and how did that change our expectations of their player trajectory, or how did it change our expectations of them in general and how they fit in the team? So, of course, we'll take Booker first just because it's easiest. Um, what would you say we kind of knew about him and what like what changed from there? We'll kind of give our takes on each player. We'll kind of go somewhat fast. We can go slower on these first several people. Yeah, no, I think, Eric, with Book, it's uh, – there was a huge amount of confidence going into this season that, you know, he was ready to be an all-star. The question was, uh, you know, was there enough spots in the Western Conference for him to grab one of them? And what was he going to have to do? Like, how good was he going to need to be in order to get a spot in that game? I, I don't want to make all-star the, the whole focus here, but I'm just thinking about what I was going into the season with, like what kind of expectation I had for Devin Booker. And I did expect that he would make a run to be a Western Conference All-Star. So uh, that was an expectation going in. Um, the other thing I think was maybe seeing if he was going to take another step as a leader of this basketball team, because even though he's heading into his fifth year to start this season, you're still looking at him as a 22-year-old at that point. Uh, and, you know, not many 22-year-olds are, are running NBA teams. It's just uh, it's a reality. So uh, I don't know if it was an expectation to think he's going to be the leader, but I think it was realistic to think he was going to take a step in the right direction with that and in that category. So those are probably the two biggest things that stand out to me as far as what we thought about going in. What about you? Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that it's kind of you have bring up an interesting point. Face the franchise and leader are somewhat almost – they thought of as the same thing, and yet they aren't really in terms of NBA standards, right? Um, usually become face of the franchise and have to learn how to be a leader. As we've seen from some people, it comes easier than others. I've talked at length about how much I kind of respect Damian Lillard's leadership, but he's, what, 27, 28, 29 now? Um, and he 
one already was a good leader all the time. Other people, it takes, I think there was an article out yesterday. I mean, I didn't quite read it yet, but it looked interesting in terms of some people becoming one, some people kind of just needing to have growing pains in that leadership role. And then also others who are like Lillard, who are naturals at it. I think Booker was in between the learning, uh, growing pains and uh, leadership kind of becoming innate in him. Although obviously until the winning comes, well, we won't see the full fruits of that. I definitely think the leader and all-star was good. I was skeptical before the year that he would even make a run because of the dearth of uh, depth there. Um, the uh, Clay and uh, and Steph really getting injured really, really helped his chances and I think made it happen. Um, though obviously the whole Donovan Mitchell versus Chris Paul versus Booker versus uh, um, Russell Westbrook thing made me mad to no end. Um, and I think that obviously he could have gone in over some and not others and that's holding the conversation. But the fact that he was left out completely initially was pretty frustrating and pretty, I think, un- um, defendable in, in a sense, uh, though obviously he didn't make it in because Lillard understands how good he was and with the injury exception he gets in. Um, I think the initial thing, though, in terms of when I thought this initially when I was thinking of this podcast was that uh, Booker needed to be more efficient. Um, and that was his next step, really, uh, in general, yeah. just to show that it's not a good player, bad team situation. Um, we obviously saw the, the, the team get better, and therefore, uh, and then with, with uh, Rubio, I mean, Booker did show us, right? I was doing stats along the first couple months of the season while it was still feasible, I think through maybe end of December or so, where Booker was on pace for ridiculous numbers. At one point I did it, and it was not a super small sample size. It was not huge, but uh, he was on pace for to be the only 50-50-90 season ever. Like, it was not good. It didn't, it wasn't going to happen, but it was still people. He was like the only person ever to be on that pace that deep in the season. So he did exceed that. And that's kind of what I was looking for. Uh, there isn't at that point with someone who's that big important to franchise and that much of obvious star, there's not much to see in terms of escalation. It's all the pieces around him. What do you think? Totally. Uh, I mean, I think it, it, you nailed it with the efficiency part because I think that's maybe one of the, the gripes that people had with his scoring was that he was doing it at, uh, you know, maybe, I don't want to call it a subpar efficiency level, but just not an elite efficiency level. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, the first couple of months were absolutely elite, even leading into maybe the third month of the season. Uh, and then it started to drop off. And I think that was just the weight of trying to carry so much uh, of the load with this team without having DeAndre Aiden for those 25 games, that definitely played a role in uh, maybe Devin uh, and his efficiency dropping off. Now, what's interesting is his efficiency was at that elite level without DeAndre Aiden on the floor. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I'm making an argument that that may have cost him in the long run uh, just because he was, uh, you know, carrying so much of the burden with uh, with the offense, and he was doing it at such a great level. I mean, that was why they were able to jump out to a, a successful start to the season and then uh, do some of the things that they did and sneak up and beat some good teams and, uh, you know, stay in that uh, respectable and competitive category for the majority of the season. I'd say even in the end, when we talk about it, if it is the end, at 65 games and 26 wins, uh, I think it's a, enough of a competitive level that would probably appease most Suns fans, you know, going into the season with the expectations where they were. Uh, but, you know, I think that you're also going to look back at this season and, and you're going to always have a lot of what ifs. Mm-hmm. You're going to always wonder if they were fully loaded and healthy 
could this team have been a playoff team um, and, and a team that battled for a top eight spot? And, and I'm pretty confident saying yes, I think they would have uh, with just those 25 DeAndre Ayton games back. But you never know. And you can't go back and look at that right now. And I'm digressing. I'm all over the map, as I expected I would be going into this conversation, Eric, because we just haven't broken down Suns hoops in a while. You know, I'm used to getting on after the games and doing the post-game show, talking to the fans. Uh, and that's been a big void. There's no question about it. Absolutely. I mean, the free-flowing conversations are my favorite for sure. Um, so, I mean, yes, it's – I mean, John, they had two games with their entire roster healthy. Two. Two games. Two. Two games. Yeah. It was like in like late December or something, and I was like, "You guys understand that, right?" Like, they're they're one game. I think I had the, the standings. They were, uh, they're what is it? They're two games behind the Spurs, two a game, two and a half games behind the Kings, Pelicans, and Blazers. Like they were almost an eight seed with missing their. I mean, they missed Ubre for a while, a long while. Uh, that ended up they would have. Missed him even further going without a uh, injury that came down the stretch. But obviously, if they restarted now, <laughs> the Suns would be in a much better place because they have. I looked at their schedule a little bit. They could they could beat up some of these teams a little bit as well um, down the stretch. Uh, so I think they had a chance. They have a chance if they restarted some of the thing. Although it sounds like uh, all that there would be time for is the playoffs, basically uh, some version of some shortened playoffs. Um, well, now we just now it's just a total crapshoot, man. Yeah. We just we're completely guessing still, and we don't know, exactly. you know, what's going to happen when basketball is going to be back. So in that case, you know, you're maybe not as disappointed that they don't have a top eight seat because we don't even know what that means. But yeah. uh, but I but I think that you know uh, if you look at it, not just DeAndre Ayton's suspension, but I think a lot of people thought well that that first game of the season they were fully loaded, but they they forget that both rookies. Cam Johnson and Ty Jerome were dealing with injuries yep. out of the gates as well. And I thought that put a factor in that, that uh, set them back because Cam, you know, ended up being a, a solid contributor. And I know we're going to get to those guys eventually, but uh, it's it just all those things play in. And uh, I'm not going to go back and try to revisit it and, and dwell on the what ifs. Instead, yeah. we'll move forward and we'll say that uh, there's a lot to look forward to when you look at the pieces on this uh, Suns team right now. Absolutely. And I mean, back to that, I just remembered something that you said about Booker. I think the reason his efficiency dropped a little bit was because he had to push because there were such bigger expectations. Going a month into the year, two months into the year, three months into the year, then he gets there's the pressure of DeAndre Agent back, and therefore, okay, you have a quote-unquote full squad. What are you going to do with it? As well as the kind of thing of uh, we're kind of good now, or we're getting good, we've taken some teams, these are not just like tanking teams or resting teams at the end of the season. We're actually beating good teams when they're trying with their full squad or somewhat full squad uh, without some of our full squad. And then they're pushing and pushing, and then Booker kind of feels that and starts going to killer mentality, right? He takes the mom mentality. He goes for it. Uh, and I think that's the part that kind of killed some of the efficiency. I think also he just kind of lost his, his – I think he hurt his wrist a little bit. And it really hurt his uh, three-point percentage. And he just stopped taking threes almost for a while there. Yep. Yeah, he did. He, he was gun-shy. We are all wondering, you know, is this uh, a health situation? Because you just never have really seen him shy away from those shots on a regular basis. But you're right. There was a stretch where he was uh, not even really trying to take threes. I remember he hit – I think he hit five uh, in a game in New Orleans. That was a big game. He went for 44 yeah. in that game. And uh, and then after that, 
I don't think he, he, he came close to, to that. I mean, yeah. maybe another one came later on in the season, uh, but he wasn't putting up the same type. And I think it was the majority of December and then into January where uh, it was noticeable that, that he wasn't taking those shots, uh, that the percentage came down after, like you said earlier, it was starting up at 50%. It was just ridiculous. Both he and Aaron Baines yeah. were doing things that just added to every game going, is this going to be – sustainable right i mean yeah. can they keep this up and obviously they didn't but uh you know you both have, you got to be pretty impressed with, with both of them just being able to do it as long as they did for sure to finish that book uh what do you think we learned about him we i, I would categorize it as he is a star it is undisputable now <laughs> he's a star and now the question is can he become a superstar right is that the next level uh i think that uh he is a star, and I've, I've felt that way so strongly from when he came into the league that he yep. was a star in the making. Uh, but now, yeah, it's nice to feel like we're not the only ones who think that anymore. Like, he, <laughs> he, he got that respect from his peers before he got it from uh, fans and media. There's no question yeah. that the players had this, like, respect for him. He was fourth the on the ballot, right? Years. He was fourth on the ballot this year in terms of, like, guards by the players. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and that's a telltale right there. And that's not the first time that he you've seen that respect from them. And I think it, he's always made a note that that's what he cares about the most. Now, I, I do think he does care about getting the respect of everybody else. And I think he's super driven to get that. And it's super competitive to do it. And, you know, it wasn't surprising to me at all that he went and won that 2K Players Tournament <laughs> for the $100,000 that goes to charity and just doing another solid for the – for the community here in Arizona, which, you know, he's bent over backwards for already yeah. at such a young age. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he's really, you know, we can talk about all the basketball superlatives with Devin Booker, but in the end, when it's, when it's all said and done, the impact he's having on this area and uh, this fan base and this community and this team, it's, uh, it's going to be hard to parallel when, mm. when he's done. And, he's already uh, at like three mil? That's exciting. It's, it's exciting to watch, to be honest, Eric. He's already at like three mil or something, right, in, in donations or in – Something like that. Yeah, I mean, you can talk about the money, and that's definitely a lot. You know, that goes a long way. And his whole starting five that he mm-hmm. established and picking the different charities to award. But uh, it's not just that. It doesn't end there. You know, now he's an ambassador to Special Olympics. Yep. He's, uh, you know, on top of all these different things that he does, in addition to getting better every year. Have we forgotten about that? He's gotten better <laughs> every year. He's going to keep getting better. That's what is so amazing to me is that we haven't even seen the ceiling yet for Devin Booker. We have five years till he gets to his, his, uh, his the beginning of his prime. <laughs> That's bad. Yeah. That makes me yeah. chuckle every time. Sign me up. Give me some popcorn. Get your okay. popcorn ready. <laughs> oh, man. I'm so excited for that. Okay, now we turn our attention to, De- to DeAndre Ayton with a bit of a cynical eye here. Not cynical, but I don't know. Uh, what, did we, what did we know about DeAndre Ayton before the beginning of the season, before the suspension broke? <laughs> Well, we knew that he had a limitless potential, and we knew that he was uh, a long ways from maturing. And I, and I say that both in a basketball <laughs> sense and a life sense. Uh, now, did we have any idea that he would make such a, a costly mistake uh, to start the season? No, I, I never saw that coming. I mean, you take a look at this dude built the way he's built, yeah. and you say, why would he ever need anything to help? You know, I mean, it, it's like if you if you had to get into a computer program and design a human being 
to play basketball, there would be very few tweaks you'd make to what you see yeah. from DeAndre Ayton. I'm talking about physically, right? It's Dwight uh, Howard and then him. Yeah, yeah, right. Let's just go physical, okay? <laughs> uh, now, obviously, that that was an expectation coming in that, that he was uh, not near his maturation uh, you know, point mm-hmm. of his career or his life. And so we were going to have to just understand that you know, he might be on a different trajectory, which is a, a word I love to use for golf, but also in other things, than Devin Booker. And, you know, here in Phoenix, Devin is the watermark that we're going to compare potential stars to mm-hmm. because he's our star. And so when you look at how he grew into what he is, uh, even though he wasn't a starter in college and then he wasn't a starter his rookie year, uh, and there was such different expectations than there were for a number one overall pick in DeAndre Ayton, to just see how Devin approached the game and how he attacked everything with regards to basketball in his career and getting into the league and making an immediate impact. But I also understand that that road is very, very, um, well, it, it's, it's hard to travel, and it's, it's rare that you get to travel on that road. There aren't mm-hmm. that many guys that can come in the league at 18, 19, and immediately have success and feel like it's not going too fast and that they're right where they need to be. And when you saw DeAndre Ayton as a rookie, you knew that, you know what, he's, he's made for this game physically, but it's going to take some time for him to understand kind of the tricks of the trade. He was taking notes. He was saying all the right things after games. And I thought he was a fantastic rookie. Yeah. It just so happens he came in in a class full of fantastic rookies, including me. maybe two or three of the better ones we've seen in decades. So, yeah. you know, there's that, that's that's a tough thing to, to come away from and say, well, we got the right guy and this, everything's hunky-dory and, yeah. you know, the Suns are right, right where they need to be. Now, all that said, uh, my expectation was DeAndre Ayton takes a significant step in year two. And I guess that's where we go now and we say – did he do that? And that's probably a decent debate to have. Yeah, I think I, th- I was looking for, I mean, all those things, of course, right? Uh, and uh, the, the, I love the, the 2K uh, challenge or whatever. He's like, don't shoot that shot um, because he needed to, he needs to power through people more and his character wouldn't do it because he doesn't do it, which is hilarious. Um, yeah. Although every player does that in 2K sometimes and you're like, oh, you're humongous, just dunk the ball. Um <laughs> but anyway, so the biggest thing I was looking for from him, right, was the defensive potential, right? We, I saw it. I'm pretty sure you saw it. Everybody saw it from the Suns' perspective. We're like, he has what it takes to be good at defense. I've been – apparently my – I'm not a hot take person, but my hot take has been that uh, HN can be better than Embiid when it's all said and dead. We'll see if that happens. We won't know for 15 years. Um, right. But I th- that's one of my hot takes. Anyway – um, so well, I, was, I mean, it's another. It's, it's a good conversation to have, and it's another guy when you talk about Embiid that I believe hasn't hit his maturity level yet. You know, and, and whether he does or not, who knows? You yeah. know, while he's playing basketball, some yeah. guys don't till they're out of the league already. But yeah. you know, he's one of those guys that, that has the potential to just be a dominant force. Mm-hmm. But I believe that he gets in his way. He does. Uh, he gets in his own way. And uh, and that's a mental thing. Mm-hmm. So you know you don't you don't know how to how to project what these guys are going to turn into, especially when they're twenty, twenty one. You know that that's just so formative. And uh, what makes me feel good about DeAndre Ayton is who he's got working with him. You know Monty Williams, 
you know, Mark Bryant. These are guys that are solid that uh, are going to put them in the right path. And that's what makes me maybe the most confident that, that DeAndre is going to mature into this great player that, uh, you know, is going to deserve being a, a number one overall pick, even in a class with a guy like Luka Doncic or, or Trey Young. Absolutely. Um, I think that, I mean, he, I saw, I looked at the stats just now, and he moved his block percent, block, um, blocks per game from 0.7, no, no, 0.8 to 1.7. He almost doubled his blocks per game in rookie to sophomore year here. And I think he was, yep. uh, what was he, I couldn't find the stat, I was looking for it before our podcast here, that I think he was second behind Gobert in rim protection numbers in some sense, which is pretty amazing for, in terms of if you qualify it um, by minutes per game, et cetera. Um, and I think that is really indicative of the, what he has to do. When he just goes big, puts his heart, arms high, he's so athletic and he has decent um, instincts that I think that he can be all. And I mean, he can be second and all NBA defensive team center eventually. And the great part is he can get even better. I yeah. mean, yeah, we saw him take that step in year two. Man, he can get even better and significantly better in the next few years. I mean, I, I feel like a 25-year-old DeAndre is a totally different looking player than what we're seeing now at 21, yeah. you know, and what we saw at 20. So I know it's tough to say that as a Suns fan and say, you know, can you imagine three, four years down the road? Nobody wants to hear that. Ain't nobody got time for three more, four, <laughs> four more years of patience right now with the Phoenix Suns, and I get that. I mean... Like when I'm when I'm broadcasting, obviously, and I'm on the radio, I'm not going to talk like that. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. But when, when we're breaking it down, uh, yeah. you know, on the Solar Insights, and we're and we're talking sun tubes during the middle of a pandemic, <laughs> I can be real with it and say that uh, you know we we don't want to have to wait three, four more years. But I'm just saying that that's the realistic uh, approach with DeAndre Ayton is that you know there's a potential there that he's just going to keep getting better and keep getting better. And as those things happen, some of the better centers in the league are getting older. Mm-hmm. And he's only getting closer to being a grown man, adult in this league, you know, able to rent his own car. That all <laughs> is going to happen, you know, in the next few years. And, uh, boy, it could be super exciting to watch. Absolutely. And and just because he's not at his prime doesn't mean the Suns can't make the playoffs or something. It's not – you don't need – and I've always, I've always rallied against this. People are always like, we need to have the timeline be perfect. All the players have to be within like two years of each other of the main core. I'm like, it doesn't have to be. I mean, the, the Spurs, um, when they went from the big three to Kawhi, like, like there's before he left, but like there's ways to, it's not, they just have to be close to their primes or good enough to have been a person who's good enough in their prime. It doesn't need to be that way, right? He doesn't need to be. He can be twenty three and they can still make the playoffs and get go far, right? It happens all the no. time. Um, so yeah, it's, I, it's not like baking a cake. It's not like you know you have to hit those ingredients exactly, otherwise things not going to rise and it's not going to taste good. No, yeah. this is a totally different deal, and you can do it a whole bunch of different ways. Uh, yeah, it would be nice to get this core group intact and go on a five ten year run, but that doesn't happen in any sports anymore. Yeah, you know, forget about just the NBA. It doesn't happen in any sports. Yeah. Just get to the playoffs. Just get there once with a young group <laughs> and see what happens. Yeah. You know, let them let them finish. And even if it is a, a you know a four game sweep in the first round or whatever it happens to be, let them taste that. It's so let them important. See what that's like, right? It's and then so that's important how you get for to the next level. It's... You've seen that more often than not with teams that are trying to build. 
with teams with teams that are trying to get up and get back to being successful in some cases. Uh, it, especially for young guys who haven't experienced it, who haven't been there before, guys like a Devin Booker and a Kelly Oubre and Mikel Bridges and DeAndre and all these young cats that are going to be playing such big roles on this team moving forward, just get them there. Let them, let them experience that, and I think it'll, it'll just have a huge impact moving forward for this group. Absolutely. I mean, it's so important. Even, like, people rally against, hey, why do you want to get swept in the playoffs? I'm like, I bet the owner wants to get swept in the playoffs because that's four playoff games. But also, um, I want it for every single one of those players. I think I was talking to is it Eddie Johnson or maybe someone else on the podcast about the fact that the the the, uh, app, the the amount of kind of condensed learning and, and experience that goes into getting playoff games versus regular season games is totally different. So important. So I wanted to transition to the next set of people by this stat. So in terms of VORP, value uh, over replacement player, there's I have the whole Suns in front of me. Um, Booker's the only one over two. And there are two players that are one over one, and everybody else is under one. Can you name those two players? Oh, let's see. Uh, number two and number three on the team? Uh, in, in VORP, yeah. I think Bridges is going to be there. You were correct. And who else? Okay. Yeah, I, I definitely love his metrics and his numbers, even though, uh, you know, people, if, if you don't pay attention to those deep stats, then you, you don't get wowed as much by what Mikel Bridges has on paper. But I think the people that do uh, like to break down the analytics, and I know you're one of them, yeah. uh, you know the value there from him. Uh, let's see. The other guy, I would probably say uh, – you know, DA could be there, but I, I think I'll go with uh, Rubio. Yeah, Rubio. Um, yeah, there's the yeah. assist level. I mean, he just was so great with that assist level. I mean, we, we had expectations for him uh, as I jump the gun here on you and, and get into my Ricky praise. But Perfect. Uh, I, I think he, he definitely surpassed my expectations. And I think a lot of people maybe slept on Ricky Rubio and his uh, importance to this team. But I don't know if he really will understand it until next season yep. and whatever next season happens to be. But but I think there's a lot of value uh, that, that is like untold so far, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense with, with regards to Ricky Rubio. Absolutely. I was looking at this and I see his assist percentage was 39.9%. What? Uh, Booker's yeah. is 30 and then like the next one highest is a Kobo at 21. Like what? Those are all point. Those are that's incredible. Um. Anyway, yeah, Rubio. I, I, I mean, I was all about Rubio. I was on Rubio like two years ago. I was like, just get him here and make it happen. And I was so happy when it did happen, just because I like him as a person. Um, I haven't met yep. him, but I, I love him as a person. Everything he stands for. I never, never ceases to make me laugh when I think about when he was on the Timberwolves as a young kid, maybe eighteen, nineteen, twenty, and people are all getting mad, and he's like, hey, change your face, smile. And it's like, hey, you're playing basketball for a living. Have some fun with it. Um, and he, I love his, his setting him up. I love his, his competitive fire. Um, I'm not a tattoo guy, but I love his tattoos. I don't know. They're so cool. Um, but it just, I love everything he brings as a leader. Um, he still shot better than I thought he would. It's amazing. And he hit those threes with that shot. I'm a shot kind of mechanic guy as a, as a player development guy. And I just, I can't believe he's making some of the ones he does, but I love it so much. And just, I love him around for two more years and I really hope they don't trade him. I don't think they will, but it's just perfect. It makes Booker better. He makes DA way better. I love it so much. 
Yeah, I'm a big fan as well. Uh, just we were so thirsty for a point guard, and uh, you know, to be able to get one with the pedigree of, of Ricky Rubio and get it at this point in his career, where I still believe there's a strong desire and a hunger to be a winner, but also a, a leader. Uh, and uh, it's, uh, you know, for me, the, the underlying part of this team's potential moving forward really has a lot to do with Ricky Rubio being at the point guard spot. And uh, I think that uh, you know, a lot of focus on this offseason will be who's the you know, potential heir apparent at that spot yeah. and who should be the backup at that spot. Very and that's much. okay. You know, that's a good conversation to have, and I'm sure there's some good qualified uh, candidates out there, including ones that are, that are already on the roster. But uh, for me, that number one guy makes me feel really good uh, about this team uh, and moving moving forward, and you know maybe the silver lining behind all this mess the Earth is dealing with is uh, <laughs> with the Olympics being postponed. That means that Ricky won't be you know working all summer in Tokyo, and yeah. uh, and won't be paying the price from a physical standpoint in the fall if if the league is ready to start and yeah. uh, and they move on as planned. Then uh, you know that could be uh, like a, a little silver lining for the Suns. With Ricky and maybe even potentially others like Aaron Baines, should he be back? Because I'm sure he was getting ready to go play for for Team Australia as well in the Olympics. So those are those are factors I think for the Suns that will be kind of small little footnotes when we're getting ready for the 2021 season. But uh, man, it's uh, yeah, I'm, I'm right there lockstep with you about Ricky Rubio. I mean, someone out there when the Suns signed him was like the worst deal of the year, and I was like, oh, I got. I know. Yeah, I was like, I was like, I was like, are you serious? He's he. I think Dave has done a bunch of research. Like, it's like the seventeenth highest contract of point guards. He's second in the league in assists assist per game. Second. He's not yeah. even. He's not even. Yeah. It's not even hard. And the Suns are like a young team who is kind of bad at shooting in general. Like, he should be like number one, and LeBron's the only one above him, or at least was. And like, I'll tell you what. <laughs> I think if I think if he's got eight in those twenty five games, he he does lead the league. Yeah, he's easily. With him, just just the alley oops and the ability to do the drop passes and the whole Steve Nash go into the basket, come back out again thing. Like, it's I love that he's here and I love it so much. Um, what any other final thoughts on Bridges? I have so much to say on Bridges a little bit, but he was the other first we've mentioned so far. Yeah, I don't want to sleep on Mikel. I think he is the low key kind of glue guy of the future that fans are going to just adore, and he's going to make so many winning plays that lead to victories late in games, during games, uh, when it gets to the playoffs, oh my goodness, that's <laughs> the guy you've got to have, right? I mean, you've got to have a lockdown wing that you can feel good about saying, all right, go stick to that guy. Or, uh, you know, this is your assignment for the game, and, and just suffocate him. And yeah. Mikel can do that. And, uh, you know, I don't even think he's scratched the surface either offensively. Especially. Oh, man. Uh, he's just getting better. They worked a lot with him this year. Got to give credit to Darko Ryakovich, who spent a ton of time with him, the Suns' assistant. Uh, Mikel gave him credit for, for helping him, along with a couple of Willie Green, too. And, mm. uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those deals. Like, you, you really get a sense for what player development is, is about when you, when you see the players 
singing the praises of the guys they're working with. Yep. And I really felt that this year from, from a lot of the guys. Uh, and we've already talked about, you know, Mark Bryant with the bigs and, and now Darko and, and Willie and, uh, and Larry Greer as well, and on and on. Uh, and, and, you know, we're not even sniffing the, the head of the whole snake and Monty Williams yep. who just came in and impressed the hell out of all of us. So, uh, you know, that, that's another factor here with the Suns that, that really has to make fans feel good is that, that there's somewhat uh, of a feeling of stability that we really haven't felt in a while from a standpoint of player development, coaching, and front office all together, right? Uh, and, and so uh, back to Mikel Bridges. Uh, I love this kid. I think, I think, you know, the whole story on draft night about him being – you know, devastated that he didn't go to the Sixers and all that. I think that is going to be such a, uh, you know, a pebble uh, that's long past its ripples in the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's down at the bottom. I mean, then you move on. He's happy here. Uh, he's uh, a huge part of this team moving forward. And uh, I think, you know, one of the telltale signs for me about Mikel was I don't think Monty knew a whole lot about him when he got here. When Monty got the job, you know, he obviously knew what he had with Devin Booker and was really excited to work with that young man. But I don't think he really had a true expectation for what Mikel Bridges was able to do on the basketball court. Oh, yeah, he and as, for as the first few weeks of the season went on, you started to see Monty take notice and you started to see kind of almost like his head perked up a little bit with regards to number 25. And he was like, you know what I got? Maybe I do need to get him more minutes and I do need to uh, start having him be involved in some of our action offensively in addition to defense. And Mikel started slow. There's no doubt, you know, his shot wasn't falling, but then boy, did it pick up and he caught fire during a good stretch of the season. He really, he really did. And um, as a player, player development guy, like for me and coach, like that's what I do. That's kind of what I want to do in the future at some point. Um, once the health gets better is that like his shot needed to get a little bit fixed a little bit it got there but like he's the guy you want to have like he should be second or third in minutes played every game no matter what like he has to be Devin Booker and DA fine they can play a lot of minutes but Bridges should be the most minutes the more he plays the better your team's going to do overall just because he's the best defender almost for sure Um, he's the best steal guy on ball off ball like He's the glue. He's the glue guy, like you said. Uh, people and like even even for non stats guys, right? He's the darling of stats guys because he just even well actually he some of the stuff doesn't even show up there. If you watch basketball and know what you're watching, you he pops off the screen if you're looking for it. Um, and it's just really fantastic to watch. I'm really excited for him to re- continue to be a part uh, of this team for sure. Um, and that brings us to who uh, Kelly Oubre. Kelly Oubre, just go with your thoughts on Kelly Oubre. I would want to hear what you have to say. Okay, well, let's uh, let's start about the expectation, which yeah. was, uh, first of all, thank goodness he's back. Uh, and I know, you know, we were all wondering about how it was going to go, and, and there's been a lot of talk about, you know, the deal itself, the two years. And, yeah. um, but uh, I was thrilled that he was back. I was excited to see, you know, was that uh, stretch of basketball he played since coming over in the middle of the season – something he was going to bring into the start of this season and potentially even take to another level. And I felt like he did. I I do think that, uh, you know, we got, we got robbed a little bit maybe at the end, but uh, with the injury that knocked him out. But I think, you know, when you look, 
look at, at the season itself and you look at his role, I thought he met and exceeded the expectations I had for, for him going in. Absolutely. I mean, he is the culture. I mean, it's Monty too, but he's the culture. He is the energy bunny. I mean, you watch when he's not playing. And I'm just like, can we get him in there just to make some things happen? And it's not because he's like doing the McHale thing, right? He's just moving and he's fast and he's the most athletic player on the Suns. I mean, would you say him or DA is more athletic? I would say Ubre. Yeah, I'd say the explosiveness goes to Kelly. Uh, and, you know, that's the thing about this team. Maybe uh, the, the thing that they're lacking the most is athletes, you know, up There's and down the, when you look at the <laughs> roster as a whole. And so you're right. When Kelly wasn't out there, you noticed that, like in a big, big way. I thought Cam Johnson actually was a better athlete than what everybody thought coming into the league. For sure. Uh, but, but even with that, even with Cam and Mikel out there, that's different than, than a Kelly Oubre Jr. Uh, yeah. with what he does and high flying and chase down dunks and, uh, you know, the, the rebounding coupled with the attacking the rim is, is something that's just so exciting to watch. And there are some teams that have a couple guys that can do that. Uh, and for the Suns, they, they don't. It's really Kelly uh, filling that role uh, by himself right now. It might be something that they look to add uh, in the offseason. But, uh, again, like you said, I think that this was a, a really solid step for another young man who's just 24 years of age and, you know, putting up almost 19 points a game. Kind of, I think a lot of people sleep on that stat line that, that he, he did that. Absolutely. Um, I think he he got clutch in the threes. He got better at threes over the course of the season. I think he's going to keep that up a little bit here. I'm um, in a good place. His shot selection was much better. He was a lot yep. smarter with his steal, steals and his defense. And he was better on all ball, on ball and off ball defense as the year got along. Um, so I think he's going to take it to the next level next year. And I'm just really excited to see it. Um, if the Suns could ever be healthy at the same time, that'd be, that'd be nice. Um, How about a guy that can hit clutch shots at the end of games, too? I mean, Devin Booker showed confidence in going to Kelly at the end of a couple games. That Charlotte game was big. Uh, you know, he, he showed something that I don't think a lot of us expected, and, and that's a, a skill that down the road, when you're, when you're getting into close game situations, boy, is that awesome to have a couple guys that can be that dagger thrower because we know Devin Booker can do it. Yeah, Devin Booker, yeah, for sure. And then the athleticism thing for sure, right? Uh, not to hit, not to shoot shots at anybody, but like when uh, Aiton was on suspension, Baines was out, Kelly was on the bench. Then it was like, uh, and Booker was on the bench because Kelly was on the bench because they were. It was because the starters were out. I mean, you got you had Starich and and Kaminsky and like other people. And Booker's not like a super athlete. I, would, I mean, he's would you say he's like right above, below, or middle average? Like he's right near that average uh, NBA athlete. I would say. Yeah, I think he's sneaky. You know, I think when he steps on it, we've seen him jam on people and, yeah. and uh, you know, use that strength. I think he's sneaky, sneaky athletic. That, that would be the category I'd put him yeah. in. It's hard to say, you know, but, but definitely above average. I think it's just a situation where that's not his strength. Yeah. And that's not what jumps off the page with Devin Booker is, is his athleticism. It's a uh, but he can but, but I do feel like he can take virtually anybody to the hole. I mean, yeah, when he wants yeah. to, he can get to the rim, and very few people are going to keep him from it. So, uh, you know, from that standpoint, that's that's got to fall into that athleticism category because there are guys, and you mentioned a couple of them, where you're just talking about them and you know that's a guy that's not going to take anybody off the dribble. Like, they're, they're just not going to get their own shot. It's, it's, not, it's not part of their game. 
painful but Devin to Booker, it can do that against anybody. I mean, painful to watch for sure. Some of those people do that. Um, but Booker, though, I mean, that reminded me during the season, his um, at rim percentage was like star, all star power forward level. <laughs> like we're talking, yeah. like, oh, are you Tim Duncan now? Um, uh, and like that was with so good heat, never misses at the rim, almost ever, or even really mid range, as long as you're not ten feet out or so. Yeah, think about if he starts getting the benefit of the whistle, but he still hasn't gotten. <laughs> I know people think that he like does. He should be averaging the second most free throws per game, like in the league, behind Harden, who's going to get always be number one for the next decade. Like someday, Booker someday. should be number he's two. He's headed in that direction, Eric. I mean, that that's where he's headed. But the but it's not not because he's like he's getting the contact. It's not like oh, if he gets number two in the league, then finally, uh, like he gets to get respect. Then, but the respect is earned. Like he's not like just like oh, yay, the refs are on his side this time. It's like he earned it. He's destroying and roasting players and they need to foul him to get to stop him from scoring on them exactly um let's move ourselves to uh oh aaron baines so i'll start us off with aaron baines by i love this i love the twitter account that's about him it makes me laugh every single time and i was literally at it was the last thing before quarantine that i went to was at the the uh aaron baines 37 point game um in the lower bowl and it made me so happy the step back uh. oh my goodness I've never seen a 260-pound 6'10 guy do a step back on a guard and drain it. That was the funniest thing I've ever seen. So good. I mean, that also forget that. And that that was like one of the highlights of the season, not just the, the 37 that he put up, but like you said, that step back three in a rhythm. Uh, and he was knocking everything he looked at down. Nice. It was so exciting to see that, too, because he had had that hot start to the season. But then he went through a rough stretch, and you were like, you know, oh, you know, maybe that was a blip, and, and it was just not real. Uh, it was real. He just got burnt out. I mean, he yeah. was playing so many more minutes than he'd ever played in his, in his life. Yeah, he he was yeah. he played was he played like twelve minutes a game, fifteen minutes a game for a long time. Then he was playing thirty five. Um, exactly. Exactly. So this also that that game reminds me of is every single player in the NBA going to make seven threes before Booker takes enough to make that many? <laughs> I know. He, Five, right? I mean, that's, yeah, that's but like, yeah, and five this year was this high, and Aaron Baines goes for nine. I mean, yeah, that list is growing. That the guys in the Suns, the guys that have hit nine threes, Bridges. I don't think anybody ever would have anticipated. Yeah. Big Aaron Baines would be on that list, but before Devin Booker, at least. But, but there I mean, he is. And, hey, at least it gives Book something to shoot for. Right? I mean, Kelly and Bridges and Aaron Baines all made it this year into that league, into that into that group um, before Booker did. And the problem is. Booker could do it in his sleep if he wanted to in any game, and he could make yep. it. Oh my gosh! I just just do it. Actually, he could get eleven, but he just doesn't. So I I, I can't. That's one thing I envision is I want to I want a season where he makes three hundred threes, two hundred fifty. Yeah, threes. yeah, he's got it. I mean, that that could be something that maybe happens later in his career where he's spotting up more. As opposed to all or, the movement that's such a big part of his, true. his game right now. But that's like, that's the playoff season. The seasons are good enough to make the playoffs. He can do it. He just doesn't have, yep. he just has to be triple, double, triple teamed all the time. And he's still young. So that's there. Um, so Aaron Baines, uh, I mean, we didn't expect much. Uh, we expect him to mentor Aiton and his on-court production was just like, it blew everything out of, we had no idea. We had to adjust our expectations after game three or whatever. We did. And I had decently high expectations that he would become a fan favorite yeah. just because he, he's done that in previous stops. Uh, so I was excited to see that element. 
but yeah, to think that he would shoot the three the way he did now, he we got a glimpse of it in the the uh, you know championships in the off season, right? Uh-huh. Uh, when he was playing for Australia, because he shot over fifty percent, and that was mind boggling when I looked at that number at first. I was like, that can't be right. He didn't shoot over fifty percent. What did he take six? But no, he actually <laughs> took a good number of them, and he shot over fifty percent. So you're like, okay. Maybe if, if he could just be like a 35% three-point shooter, that would be pretty solid be to have a stretch five. And, uh, you know, he was. I think that's right around where he ended up, right? Probably. I, mean, I can check. Let me see here. Yeah. I think uh, he was right around 35. Three-point rate percentage. That's advanced. Just a second. <laughs> Wrong <laughs> part. That's advanced stuff. That's not going to help us at all. Three-point percentage for Baines. 35.1, yeah, 35. wow, 35.1, good job. <laughs> okay, there we go, 10% off. Javon Carter at 39.3, whoa. Yeah, it, he was just so good in, <laughs> early on, and then, uh, you know, it dropped off a little bit, but I still think, uh, you know, it, it's going to be a tough decision, obviously, with so many yeah. factors uh, for this team moving forward, but he's one of those that they've got to make that call on because, you know, clearly they don't expect he's going to have the role he had this year because you wanted DeAndre Ayton for 82 if you have your druthers, but uh, we'll see. Do you think that the pandemic helped them keep him in some way? Potentially. I, I mean, look, there's, okay, in addition to oh, talking about contracts and who has their contracts up, the whole other part of the conversation right now is we don't even know what the salary cap could be because yeah. the league is being affected financially. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, I mean, anybody who comes out right now, and I say this to my kids and my wife every day almost, anybody who, who like, stands up and says, I know exactly how things are going to play out. You know immediately <laughs> they're full of shit. You know, that's, that's a red flag right oh away. Because there ain't a soul on the planet right now that knows how things are going to play out. Uh, and, you know, the NBA falls into that category of, of what's going to happen next. But, uh, you know, I'll tell you, if it's one of those situations where teams end up staying intact more so than fluctuating, mm-hmm. this would be a, a pretty nice group to keep intact as far as I'm concerned. I'd like to see what they could do uh, with bringing the majority of these guys back. And they can because they have all the Tyler Johnson dead money on the books or right. coming off the books. Um, so that's good. Um, so, yeah, he was – I mean, he was a whole other thing. and There's no expectations there. I mean, we just talked about him. But anyway, um, let's talk Cameron Johnson next. Um, I, I mean, we knew he was the best shooter in the, in the, in the draft by quite a margin. Um, and he showed it. <laughs> well, you know, again, it was a situation where there was so much negativity about Cam Johnson when he was taken 11th. And it was just based on, uh, you know, the mock drafts and expectations and people just thought he was going to go later, you know, significantly later. And then when you started diving in a little bit and, and listening to some of the other teams, I remember hearing the Detroit Pistons talking about maybe they were going to take him if the Suns didn't take him, that there were other teams that would have been uh, interested in Cam had the Suns not got him at 11. That It was not, in fact, that much of a reach for James Jones and company to take a guy who was accomplished in, in how he was in college because that was really their focus. And I absolutely commend them for it. We've seen enough of the, the roll the dice on the teenagers and try to get them to, to turn into stars. It just is not something that's easy to do in, in this league. And so take a guy that's been coached, that understands the ins and outs of the game that you don't have to start from scratch with because you want 
a guy that can make an impact on your team. Now, if there's teams that, that have a roster that's stacked that don't have room for a rookie, then yeah, go take an 18-, 19-year-old kid that you can put in the G League that might turn into something. Like a guy like Jalen LeCue could still oh. turn into a, a player at some point for the Suns. But, you know, for, for Cam Johnson, uh, yeah, he exceeded expectations. But I had higher expectations than I think a lot of people did because I didn't think he was that much of a reach, and I was excited to see what he could add to this roster. Same. I was basically like, hey, you better not pick in the top 10 because this is not the draft for it. And they didn't, and I'm happy about that in general. And then I'm happy that they got a shooter because that's what they needed. Uh, They didn't need a teenager because they already have their core. Like Their core, right, is a good point guard, Ricky Rubio for now, Booker, Aiton, Bridges, and Oubre. Like... You build around that. Well, okay, Cam Johnson can probably be part of that because he has a, the thing that stretches the defense and makes uh, Uber like Uber and him are going to be perfect to working against each other because they can both shoot. And then uh, if through, once Cam Johnson's on the corner, then Uber is going to be able to slash from the top like all the time, and we saw that. Yep. Yeah, and I think uh, Bridges is going to add that element to his game continuously more too and be more of a slashing threat like Ubre is. He doesn't have as explosive, uh, you know, the hops and whatnot that, that Ubre has, but I think Bridges has this length to him yeah. that makes him so difficult to keep from the rim. And I love that about him and I think he's sensing the timing better and better as he moves along and so that's great too. Kelly's got a knack for that timing and the slashing and yeah. that's, that's a skill it's, it's very difficult to teach, but I think Bridges has elements of it. So yeah. you got two guys who could Um, and he, he can, I think, if I'm forgetting right, it's been too long since I saw it, right? Um, but I think he had some uh, some uh, transition ball handling stuff that I didn't think he was going to have either, um, yep. if I remember right. Um, but, like, really, I'm, like, one-on-one. One. We mentioned the, the Uber slashing, the one on Paul Millsap when he was open at the three-point line and just pump fake nobody. <laughs> and Oh, my gosh, so great. But I am just, like, we saw amazing flashes this year, and I'm tantalized by a... Booker Bridges Ubre Cam agent lineup. I'm like, give it to me more. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I mean, the numbers were off the charts, right? It was like one of the top five teams in the league. <laughs> just that stuff. Yeah. yeah, we need we need more of it just to see if it can maintain those types of uh, success levels. But yeah, I'm Problem with you on high. that. Like the starting lineup, too. Uh, you know, the numbers were great. Uh, from that one, and, and uh, you know, even the, when it was charged in the lineup, and, and we haven't gotten to Dario yet, so maybe I'm jumping the gun. Well, right there, let's let's take Dario and Frank Kaminsky together. The two big fellas. Uh, well, I, I think uh, uh, I've had two different feelings, I guess, okay. uh, on those take two guys. Separate. <laughs> uh, yeah, Dario, Dario was a little bit of a disappointment from my bit. standpoint, mm-hmm. uh, based on my expectations for him. Although there were times where I felt like he wasn't getting enough praise and, and he was doing a lot of the dirty work down low when, when there wasn't a lot of help with, with Aiden not being there because a lot of people forget, well, they, they, yeah, but you had Aaron Bates. Yeah, but Aaron Bates is floating around the perimeter knocking out threes. <laughs> He's not the one battling the bigs down low a lot of the time, especially on the offensive end. And I thought Dario did pick up the slack. So I do give him credit for that. And I think he's a strong guy, and I really like him. Mm-hmm. I think he's a really good dude. Uh, it made a lot of sense to me, uh, the stories from Phil. 
I've gotten to know him mm-hmm. over the last year, and we'll see where he goes. I mean, the guy's going to have a long career. I really yeah. believe that. I just am not sure whether or not he'll be back on this team. Frank Kaminsky uh, showed me something that you know we kind of felt like he had when he was coming into the league, and then I just didn't watch enough of him with Charlotte, so I didn't really get a glimpse of, of what was uh, holding him back or why he hasn't developed as much as maybe people thought he might. But, look, he's not a guy that's going to be your top option or, or you know one of your top three, four, five options out there. But if you can bring him off the bench as a stretch big, absolutely. Because he showed me, you know, we knew he could knock down the shot, but he also can do some other things and, and not be a complete liability defensively, uh. which is, uh, you know, maybe what we, we, you might, you might, uh, you might argue that point. But, but uh, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like Frank is a, is a guy that I, that I wouldn't mind having on the bench. Uh, you know, to, again, it's not a guy you're giving 20 minutes a game to. I, so I agree, right? Um, the thing about Sarich was that I thought he would, was smaller and faster. I always said this about Sarich, like, it looked like he was painful trying to cut there and trying to defend people on the cuts. I'm like, I feel yep. I just feel bad for him. I'm like, are you okay? Um, I did like his shot. His shot was pretty good. His instincts are pretty good. His rebounding is kind of phenomenal, actually. Uh, his pheno- his rebounding is quite quite phenomenal. Um, Kaminsky, um, the, pro- the problem is they just couldn't both play together at the same time. You just can't have that happen. Um, it, you have to have one of them with, like, fine, you can play either of them, with Aiton and, and Kelly, but you can't play them both together without either of those guys. Um, it just won't work. You can only have so many what we call subpar athletes on the court at the same time. Uh, you can have a bunch of average ones and a couple elite, or you have to, have to balance it out to be above average a- athlete, basically, on the court. Um, so for Kaminsky, his, his shot was good. His passing was pretty phenomenal. Uh, his passing was quite good for a big man. Um, but it was underwhelming in a sense. I, of course, wouldn't care if he's because uh, he has a two-year I think he was a two-year eight mil um, so he's fine to bring back next year uh, especially if Sarge is gone to fill that role uh, but I'm not super worried either way with either of them at the moment but I'm glad that they did their thing uh, they helped stem the tide with HN out and Baines out at times so I'm really happy that they did that sorry that Kaminsky got a little bit injured and then Sarge had his little had his DNP streak um, I'm glad they were able to do it but I'm not sure either of them will necessarily be back or that they need to be back or not back. Yeah, it's going to be part of that uh, decision-making process for James Jones and company and, uh, you know, figuring out uh, what, what the options are out there to compare them to as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what about uh, Ty Jerome, the other rookie, one of the other rookies? I like Ty. Uh, you know, my expectation for him going in was uh, to battle uh, Ellie and, and Javon and, and, uh, and Ty Johnson as well. You know, remember that was yeah. going into the season that there was an expectation that Tyler Johnson was in the mix for the backup guard spots. And, uh, you know, he was a, a disappointment for sure. But Ty Jerome, to me, it was disappointing because, you know, his growth was stunted by the injury uh, in the preseason. Uh, didn't get out there and play in summer league either because of the whole contract thing. He yeah. and Cam Johnson got slowed because of that. So that was a little unfortunate. So everything kind of got slowed down in his progress. And, uh, my hope is that, uh, you know, that was what led into it seeming like the speed of the game was too fast for him because that was, I think, yeah. what most people felt when they watched Ty Jerome play uh, during stretches of his rookie season. I don't uh, think that, that we should write him off by any stretch, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how he progresses uh, between year one and two. I'll give him another year. But um, I mean, remember the game? I think he, I think he was instrumental in that preseason game where they shot thirty. They made thirty threes, I think. 
Um, yes, like, like, Portland. Like, yeah. yeah, he was like really good there, and then he got injured right like right after that. Um, and so I was pretty underwhelmed. I thought he was gonna be a little better. Obviously, the injury is a lot of part of that. But he, it wasn't just the kind of like this game is too fast, but the confidence on the shot was really disappointing in that sense. Um, I was like, you've got to be able to shoot better than that. Um, and that kind of made me feel like that, like I get the scared feeling of the Kendall Marshall thing um, in terms of point guards. So yeah. uh, we'll give him a year. Yeah, I, I mean, think... The nice thing is that you're not expecting him to be the point guard now. And Kendall Marshall came in and they handed oh. him the keys almost. So uh, it's a different situation when you got a Ricky Rubio. Uh, that now you can take a, a, a minute to evaluate these guys you have behind him. And, you know, look, Ty Jerome might get more competition because they might go get another young guy in the draft or in free agency. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. And then, I mean, yeah, and then maybe Javon Carter, who um, there's it's, a, it's such a two-sided thing for him. It's so obvious. It's like, hey, you kind of made threes, but you also took some you shouldn't. And you're the only person on the whole team who couldn't abide by the .5 rule. Uh, when he played basketball. Yeah, he didn't transition to that uh, as quickly as, as some of the other guys, but he also did transition into a playmaker and a uh, crowd pleaser, and, and that was exciting in the beginning of the year uh, when he kind of took over a couple times and, and made some some big impacts. I think he's he's got a skill set, I, I, you know, and, and it's uh, one of those that, that maybe that skill set isn't necessarily a true point guard. Yeah. You know, he, yeah. he might be able to be that combo guy and a change of pace off the bench that's going to lock up a guy for for a few minutes and, and bother guys defensively and then knock down some threes. And he did shoot, I think he had the highest percentage on the team uh, from beyond the arc. So uh, that's nothing to shake your head at. For sure. He's, the, he's that balls to kind of bulldog guy that we talk about. But he's like the ninth, tenth guy. I don't, I don't see him able to. Because yeah. like when you said playmaker, I'm like, I mean, kind of. Um, he made his own shots. He could... He's not he's not unable to make his own his own play, but he's not going to make his teammates better. He's amazing on defense, right? But sometimes the uh, bulldog mentality can backfire on you if you're playing against an actual starter. Yeah, you know what? I should take that back because that's the wrong phrase to to use in this case. Playmaker is usually considered uh, a guy who makes plays for his teammates. I was considering that that he made some big plays in games. Oh, uh, and, and from that standpoint, he was a playmaker. Because he came up big in some tight situations, and uh, you know, got the crowd involved and and made some plays from that standpoint. But you're right, and that's why I say he's not a true point guard because he isn't much of a, a playmaker uh, from setting guys up. And, and so that's uh, the tricky situation. He gets he falls into that tweener category, and when you're six foot one, that's a tough category to be in. Yeah, usually those tweeners are six four. <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. So obviously the next one is like Elia Koba. We're almost kind of finishing up here as we go to the uh, team sense. Um, uh, kind of finish out with Czech Diallo, um, maybe Jalen LeCue and Elia Kobo. Yeah, I mean uh, Czech was a, a really pleasant surprise he was. Uh, when he did get some time to play offensively more than anything. I thought where he was uh, de- defensively. He wasn't as good as I expected him to be. Offensively, he was far better than I expected yep. him to be. So that's kind of my, my take on Czech Diallo. And, and I wouldn't mind seeing you know a young guy like that, 23-24, continue to get uh, groomed and, and, and have an opportunity. But again, he's also a, a tweener based on size at, at six foot eight, and he's not going to stretch it out beyond the arc, although he did knock down a three. Uh, on an inbounds play, I remember that. Uh, that, that surprised a lot of folks. But uh, and then I go to Elliot Kobo, uh, 
I probably put him in the disappointing category just from a standpoint of expecting him that he, he could take another significant step. Uh, but I, I still believe that at 21-22, I don't write those guys off. It's just too young at this stage of the game. And he actually does have a decent amount of experience at that age uh, behind him already. It's just, you know, he's got he's to improve himself from a, a playmaking standpoint also, just like Javon. And he's got to improve his shooting a little bit more. Uh, yeah. And then uh, Jalen LeCue, I did get to see a little bit of, uh, you know, probably more so in practice than anything else. Yeah. And he has – He's got that wow factor from an athleticism standpoint that uh, not a lot of people have. So when you get a guy like that, you you just want to have him, uh, you know, get into the right system and develop the right way. And uh, I think it's going to be interesting and we're going to get to see uh, what that looks like maybe in another couple of years. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You know, right now, there just isn't necessarily that, that spot for Jalen LeCue. Especially if the Suns want to get better. Like, they can't play uh, basically a rookie that isn't, like, drafted and, st- like, not drafted high enough. Right? Like, you, you there's, it's risking yourself. Um, in terms of uh, Chuck Diallo, he had an in, inordinate number of swishes. It was crazy. Everything was swish. He had such a good high release. Um, I think he needs to just get bigger and bulkier and, like, he needs to become uh, um, Harold. That's what he needs to be. Yeah, that would take a lot of uh, bigger and bulkier. That type, that type, right? He needs to put on, like, 70 pounds to get there. But, um, exactly. But the type, right? Like, he has the shot, but the shot doesn't need to be so good. He just needs to be able to rebound better, keep people out of the yeah. lane, punish the people so that the so that DA can get back in the game, right? Like that's what he's there for. But especially if they especially if they don't keep Baines, which they they just need to. Um, Ellie Kobo has disappointed me. I was always of the mind of keep Anthony Melton and not a Kobo, but it sounds like Booker is much more friends with a Kobo and not Melton. Um, I, that's from what I heard, um, and so therefore that's kind of how it worked. Um, a Kobo has not. You're right. He hasn't really. Um, he hasn't improved enough. Like, like he can play. He, he He's good in the summer league when they do it. But, hey, he's been in the league long enough that he shouldn't have to play summer league because he should be good enough by now. But he's still done it. And he has flashes. But if you leave him in too long, he's going to make enough mistakes that you're going to be down in the game. Um, so that's just kind of frustrating there. Um, yeah, so that's – and then Jalen McHugh, man, he is Russell Westbrook with an afro. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Westbrook. Yeah, uh, you know it's it's going to be fun to see uh, the the steps he takes, and um, you know it's it's definitely exciting every time he gets it on the wing, and there's some crease in the lane. You just know he's attacking, and uh, that's a fun thing to watch on the basketball court. Beautiful. And since we're over about we're about about an hour now, I think we'd say that we'll finish up with uh, the team as well as like the coaching staff and James Jones as kind of like a last final thing here. Well, I praised, uh, I think, almost all the members of the staff. Uh, and, uh, you know, I really do like this group that, that Monty Williams put together. Yeah. And it's all led by Monty. And, and so for that reason, i got to give James credit because he was alongside with Monty. He's the one who hired Monty. And, uh, you know, Monty could have been the head coach of the Lakers, for all we know. And, and they probably would have had an even better run uh, <laughs> than they had with Frank Vogel. Nothing to take away from Frank and what they did. I mean, they, they definitely – or in that top spot in the West, but uh, Monty is uh, is the the real deal. Yes, he's, he's the gen the genuine article, as they say. And uh, I am so excited to be 
able to get to know him and interview him and talk to him on and off the air uh, and watch him work with this young group. And, uh, you know, again, that's why I also am going to commend James Jones because he was the one who got that done. And then uh, from a standpoint of of the acquisitions and the trades, well, I I think the the Tyler Johnson thing was a a tricky one. There were some people who felt like, well, why couldn't they get anything for that contract? But clearly the the times have changed even before the times have really changed, right? (laughs) Uh, And uh, so, you know, the market wasn't there for that. Uh, You know, the other question was, could they make any deals to to strengthen the roster at uh, the trade deadline time, you know, beyond that? And, you know, that that wasn't going to happen, at least in this uh, season. And and I was okay with that because I do want to see this group continue to grow together, uh, at least the the core of it, and uh, look forward to seeing, you know, how they add to it in the future. I think, like I said earlier, uh, this is probably the most confident I've been uh, when you look at this uh, team, uh, when when you consider all the factors, roster, front office, coaching staff, uh, and you top that all off with the fact that you're, you're going to have a brand new practice facility and a building that's getting uh, transformed right as we speak yep. downtown. In fact, uh, way ahead of schedule of what they were going to do had they had to play out the rest of the season. So that, that's another silver lining through this whole mess is that uh, construction's going fast. So, uh, you know, like I said, there's a lot to be excited about right now for Suns fans. It's just let's let's try to see if we can solidify the future of basketball and just our planet in general, and then we can get this show on the road again, man. I want to see these guys ball. Me, very, very much so. Yes, I would love to do that. That would be so great. I miss my basketball and my pizza and having, having a good time doing that. It's always a pleasure to do that. Um, in terms of uh, James Jones, I agree. I think he's uh, getting I think he's understanding the difference between that maybe McDonough didn't, and I'm a big McDonough guy um, in general, um, but uh, that uh, the personal thing that he obviously had, because that's his thing, and as well as the kind of efficiency side, right, of, of, of assets management there on him. And Monty Williams, of course, is just a true professional, such a, such a good man, it seems. Uh, in terms of so much integrity and and, and moral compassness, uh, and the ability to create a, an atmosphere uh, that is good, conducive to growing men, um, which is what he's doing with a lot of these people that are what he, what we have. Aaron Baines, the only one over thirty, looks like it. Yep. Right. Uh, so uh, it's 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 that uh, the Suns. I think we're still the youngest team in the league this year, and that may not be true next year because it probably will be the Grizzlies. I'm thinking. But or the Knicks or something. No, that's not the Knicks. Um, but uh, the Grizzlies, and so they're not going to be that next year. But they're going to be growing. They are they, like per each player, they're younger than they should be for how good they are. And this needs to happen to get to a critical mass where they can make the playoffs and burst in. I think a lot of these players that are in, the, in leading the teams up up ahead of them are getting uh, broken down enough that it'll happen soon. Yep. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm okay with them not being the youngest team in the league anymore. That'd be nice. Uh, I should not be older. <laughs> I'm older than everybody but Aaron Beans. Except for I'm, I'm I got Aaron Rubio. Oh. Too. oh man. <laughs> well, this was fantastic. Any final thoughts? Ah, uh, you know, just thanks for having me on and, and let me uh, talk basketball. Like I said, that's uh, something that just uh, and now I'm, I'm definitely not taking for granted. So. Uh, appreciate it, and uh, hope we get to do it again sometime. For sure. Why don't you plug your Twitter, and I think you have a project coming out soon. 
Uh, yeah, I'm just at John Bloom on Twitter. There's no H in John, so it's J-O-N-B-L-O-O-M. Uh, and I'm on there pretty much daily, although I've been trying to talk myself uh, into taking a, a social media break during this pandemic. But uh, we'll see. I still want to be informed, and I definitely like keeping in touch with Suns fans. That's like what I like doing more than anything on there. And, and uh, yeah, as far as that is concerned, I do have a project I'm working on that Eric's going to be in on. I got a bunch of other dignitaries in on it. Al McCoy's in on it. Uh, and it, it, it's a, uh, a song that I've rewritten, and I'm doing a music video, and it's for Suns fans. It's, that's, uh, that's who this is for. Uh, it's just something, a little something uh, from my creative juices to try to do when I've got the time on my hand. So thank you, Eric, for, for jumping on board and being a part of it. And uh, should be out in the next uh, week or two. Yes, definitely. Thanks for having me be part of that. Thanks for coming on. I've always wanted to get you on. I finally remembered to ask and, uh, and, and slot you in here. I'm glad to get back in the swing of things for podcasting. I'm going to write up kind of this general thing in an article. So if you want to look up for that in the next while or so. I am writing a couple of books as well, so I'm in the, I do write a lot, so I don't have time always to do about this. Um, but I uh, do want to make sure that I uh, hope everybody enjoyed this. Um, please subscribe, share, etc. Need to get this out there. Um, and make sure people are listening to some good discussion about the Suns here. Uh, we have obviously a lot of podcasts out there that are doing a good job. I want to make sure uh, I want to be a part of that and be part of this amazing community here. So uh, thank you again, John, and everybody have a wonderful night. Thanks.